Hi, this is Len Wein, the creator of Wolverine and Swamp Thing, among many others, and you're listening to Spider Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. I'll be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon. They'll bend your ears with reckless self abandon. The Amazing Spider-Talk The Amazing Spider-Talk Come swing through the air Sit back and prepare For the Amazing Spider-Talk Hello and welcome to The Amazing Spider-Talk My name is Dan Gavazdan and I'm the editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com, and I'm joined by... Hey, I'm Kyle Kreis. I'm a contributor for SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Amy Sandifer, Dan's girlfriend and the person who puts up with all of the illustrations of Spider-Man that exist in our home. That's totally fair. Thanks for joining us for a very special, amazing Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation, well, between three fans... And uh, a collector's too, yeah. as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. But for this episode, we'll be discussing our recent trip to the Long Beach Comic Con, where we scored some amazing interviews, great pictures of cosplayers, and had a wonderful experience overall. I invited Kyle and Amy, who joined me for the convention. First, we're going to talk about our time at the show, and then play our interviews with Stuart and Catherine Eminen, and then Len Wein, the creator of everyone's favorite, Wolverine. If you hear this sound, please check out your iOS device for a link to the article, the video, or image. It's going to enhance your listening experience. All right. Let's get right into our discussion of the Long Beach Comic Con 2015. Where fans flock to convention halls. Riding the shuttle from my distant motel. Can't wait to see that sacred hall. Comics are an abomination. Sense of spandex and pleather all around me. Oh, look, there's Loki and Darth Maul. Well, that's not screen accurate. All right, so the Long Beach Comic Con 2015. Uh, Amy, uh, you and I went last year, but you're still pretty new to comic conventions, and, and Kyle, I. Uh, from your mouth to, to my ears, you stress that you were also pretty new to comic conventions. So I'm curious to ask you guys, and for our listeners out there who maybe who haven't attended many conventions, what's it like going to conventions for the first time? And, and talk about uh, your experiences, uh, I guess, doing so. Well, I had a blast. I mean, the last time I was at a convention, uh, Nirvana was being played on the radio for the first time, and I got a uh, McFarlane pinup. So that's just telling you how long it's been. And, you know, there were no cosplayers. There were no creators. It was just people selling long boxes of back issues. So I, I had this was a blast for me, a totally new experience. The cosplayers are great. The creators were warm and giving, and the, the long boxes were still there. So the, it was the best of all worlds. Yeah, I had a great time. Uh, at this point, I think I've been to a total of something like five cons uh, so far overall, uh, with this being my one-year anniversary of attending the Long Beach Comic Con with Dan. 
Um, I think this con out of all of the ones that I've been to is the best in terms of access to artists and creators. Um, it has overall a very welcoming atmosphere. I think anyone, even a person like myself who isn't, you know, a crazy comic book fan can feel comfortable and get a lot out of the experience. The panel discussions that they have um, were, the ones this year were excellent. So, um, you know, I thought it was a great experience. Yeah, and I had a lot of fun too. I, I really like Long Beach Comic Con and um, I just attended San Diego Comic Con for the first time this year and found it to be kind of overwhelming and not really what I look for from a con, which is access to creators and a way to forge a more personal experience rather than just kind of experiencing what marketing wants you to get out of something. And uh, the one thing I'll say about Long Beach Comic Con is I don't really feel like marketing wants you to get anything out of it. I, I mean, like, there are certainly things there, but it's easily avoidable. And, and you're going to be too busy if you're a comic fan getting distracted by all the great comic selections. And um, this year, I thought especially they had some wonderful guests. Uh, you know, Jerry Conley wasn't there this year like last year. But, you know, in, in his place, you know, we got the Eminence, which, I mean, th that was amazing to me. Because, I mean, Stuart Eminem is, is one of the premier artists at Marvel. And, I mean, how long was his line at any given time? Like three or four people? I mean, that's unimaginable in New York and San Diego. Um, and it made me go, what? Like, this guy isn't the hottest shot here? Yeah, he was just sitting there with a stack of, you know, all new X-Men and some of his own creator stuff. But, yeah, there, there should have been, you know, lines down the door. Was, it, was he not... On the marquee, he was on the on the program. But if you looked at his table, what we got there, and there was no name on the table for him. Like how disrespectful! It was incredibly disrespectful. But at the same time, I thought it was great that that he did have a consistent line. I feel like all of the artists, even some of the older, um, you know, throwback artists um, who who've been around for a while, they always consistently. I feel like at these kind of smaller, lesser-known cons get the experience of meeting fans who actually care about um, what, they've, what they've created. So I think that's great. Yeah, and from all different walks of life. I mean, about, about the lack of labels for their names, I think every time we've been to Long Beach Comic Con, there's kind of been a little bit of a mix-up, and I think that's probably part and parcel with going to a convention. Even San Diego had some, like... I mean, I couldn't even tell you about how bad the situation was for uh, Artist Alley. But, um, yeah, I mean, eventually these things kind of worked themselves. I think they took markers and drew their own little labels. And, I mean, I, I, they they seem to be having a good time at the con. I, I mean, they seem to express that they wanted to come back later. Mm -hmm. And our interview had to be truncated because they were so busy. Right. So um, hopefully we can get them another time. But, uh yeah, I mean, even last year, like, we were looking for, I forget who it was, and they... It was Jerry Conway. It was Jerry Conway, and, like, where he was listed as being was not where he ended up, and it was a whole confusion. But, I mean, whatever, you go there, and you hike through the place, and you find who you need to find. Um, and the great thing is you can find them there. Um, They're not I, lost like, in a sea of a, a, a crowd of heads. In, an, in a sea of booths selling bobbleheads and T-shirts like Kamikaze. Um, I felt like WonderCon, you know, kind of lacked in terms of its focus on artists. So, and, and the great 
other part is as the artists that all of you know and love and care about um, and have, you know, a long history with, um, many of them attend cons like this. They go to New York, they go to Baltimore, um, and also a lot of local artists and uh, people who do independent publishing attend um, cons like Long Beach. So, uh, you know, it's great for finding new uh, voices. Yeah, that was one thing that we really made sure to do. I mean, almost by accident, sometimes we would, I mean, it, it can be nerve wracking to kind of see, lock eyes with someone behind a table and, you know, worry that they're going to really try to sell you stuff. And, you know, I've kind of finished my Spider-Man collection, as listeners know. So, you know, it's nice to actually relieving to spend money and supporting people that maybe I don't know about their product, but I'll be pleasantly surprised. But um, we, we came to this convention with a, a couple goals for ourselves of things we wanted to do beyond getting interviews. And there were a lot of people to interview and some we weren't able to get, but made promises to do it at a later date. But um, uh, when we arrived, we said, let's unload in the press room. What was that like, guys? Well, you know, we found the press room, which was um, which was an accomplishment in itself. This was a little wild west being on the professional side, right? It was, you know, like they weren't really, uh, you know, they didn't ask for our. Uh, well, we didn't give a business card, I think, but mine was an expired business card. We get to the press room, and it was completely empty. Right. Uh, yeah. It's not like they asked us for our credentials, which is great because I don't think Kyle or I have any. <laughs> um, and Only the best here at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. That's, you know, we're out there hitting the ground for you guys. Uh, in any case, yeah, it was, it was kind of funny to walk into an, an empty, barren room. Uh, well, when they say empty, I bet listeners are imagining, oh, there was no one in there. But we don't mean empty in terms of people. We mean there were no tables, no provided Wi-Fi. It was, you know, if we wanted to really cover the convention, it would mean covering it into the void of space. Like, uh, we'd be covering it for each other. Like, hey, Kyle, did you know that at Long Beach there are some great cosplayers there? You know, but I thought it was great that they had a room set aside for press. And they had some perhaps more legitimate uh, <laughs> Uh, members of the press uh, in that room later on in the Way day. Way to besmirch all my hard work here, Amy. <laughs> you know, I, I'm sorry. Well, we you know we we got out of the press room and we hit the ground running. Right, we were like we were we were on our feet. Uh, the whole time, we weren't like some of those bougie outlets that are like, well, the creators come to us or that. We were out searching for them, and I I feel we've got everyone we're looking for or promises from. Everyone, like, you know, future episode with Mr. Christoph Gage, maybe? Or even, um, you know, Adam Kubert, you know, he said he would do a phone call with us. So, you know, things to come. But, uh, yeah, that means, that means kind of ambushing these people in the most polite way possible. I mean, that's really the key is the, the sell. But, like, even then, you know, with our... You know, business card, which be, is our flyer for our show, it looks nice. We got some compliments. Um, I mean, Adam Kubert looked it over. He wanted to see it. I think he was impressed by the Ron Friends and Sal Buscema artwork. Um, and, you know, they kind of look at you like, oh, yeah, fan press, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, we got talking to Joe Kelly, and, like, after a minute of talking to us, I think he realized, oh, these guys are the real deal. They know their stuff. And, uh, and that was nice to, you know, kind of see people, like, their eyes, like, light up, realizing, oh, this isn't just, like, any other interview. 
No, I agree. When uh, we got some of the some of the best interviews uh, that could, we could have, could have possibly asked for, and you're going to hear those in some future episodes that are great, and including later in this episode. Uh, what about the other? One of the other big goals of the weekend was uh, meeting cosplayers. Yes, that was so much fun. Um, I think this is one of my favorite cons in terms of of people really being friendly. Um, while they're cosplaying. So they, they want you to take pictures of them. They want to say hi. Um, and they were very impressed when we introduced ourselves as part of superiorspidertalk.com. Um, some now, of, now you're trying to win this back. I, all right, all right. I'm well, to like you again. Well, I have to live with you. So, um, <laughs> but, but we, uh, you know, we had a chance to meet a lot of people who are hopefully new listeners as of this show. I hope I hope you're tuning in, cosplayers. Um, but but I think everyone was really excited. I, I saw a lot of really um, hard work put into those costumes. You're not kidding. We we met uh, a kid uh, who hand designed his own Amazing Spider-Man from the movie, the first movie. Uh, costume and man the level of detail he'd been working on that for how long i think he said six months yeah and like you could see he put like that bubble paint or whatever it was that he every single webbing and in between the webbing like you know, probably in between his toes he put put detail it was pretty incredible uh web shooters right they're not functional but still uh attention to detail uh, eye pieces. All the different Spideys had different uh, strategies for their eye pieces. Some were magnets, some were glued, some were, I guess, sewed in. It was just the uh, the attention to detail was amazing. Not not exactly. I thought we'd see a bigger range of characters from the from the Spider family. Uh, it's mostly Spider Gwen. I mean, like she's really the hot thing. And I mean, ever since she arrived on the scene. But yeah, I, I, we we even met someone who had. Two different Agent Venom uh, uh, costumes. I thought it was a different guy, and we approached him. And he's like, "You already talked to me yesterday," and I was like, "What? Like, this is a this is a different, but not entirely different Venom costume." But uh, yeah, I guess he has one red and one white Agent Venom costumes. I thought it was really uh, great as a female to see several women actually dressed up in the more traditional Spider-Man costume, in addition to Spider-Gwen, who is an awesome character. I think we saw one Spider-Woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we and saw one Silk yeah. from her like early just webbed my body costume. And she literally taped herself into that costume. It was like a one-time only <laughs> costume, which is awesome. It also doubles as like a waxing of your entire body to get it off, I'm sure. Well, we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> you know, and, and I don't know how she went to the bathroom, but that's another thing, too. <laughs> I had two personal favorites. Uh, uh, tell me yours after mine. Uh, Runner-up was Bombastic Bagman made an appearance. and But my favorite, which was uh, on Sunday, was the one and only villain, Sandman. I'm gonna to have to agree with you. Sandman was great, and not like his shoes were covered in sand. His pants had a gradient of sand going up them. He bought had the green striped shirt that he got. Where what, was at, it? At Target. Gap, I think. At yeah. the Gap, which he lucked out about. His hair was grayed, and like he had the 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 arm club, but like he also had a hammer arm. And he said he had another one. Was that? 
what? Uh, I imagine it was the uh, uh, spike spikes on the end. What? Uh, I don't yeah, know. What he, he called I, it yeah, something. Yeah, it's like yeah. spiked ball mace arm or something <laughs> mace, like that. Mace, yeah. yeah, mace arm. That was impressive to me. I, I I was telling him he should freak people out by rounding the corner and changing the arm so that they think he's actually shape shifting. But uh, yeah, no, that you never see the villains. Like I've seen one Doc Ock before and a Superior Spider-Man once, but. And maybe one goblin, which is kind of difficult to pull off, but a Sandman, I never thought I'd see. Next up, Hydro Man. <laughs> right, yeah. I thought it was great uh, to see a 10-year-old Spider Gwen who had painted her own shoes. That's the level of dedication we're talking about. It's hard to find teal, you know, light blue colored shoes. So the fact that she wanted to color match the shoes and be that authentic, I thought was great. Kid cosplayers are great, you know, um, even if they're assisted, most likely I'm sure they're assisted, but like, I mean, these comics are, should primarily be for kids and to see them representing their favorite characters means, yeah, I, you know, these things are connecting in some way. And you can see, make sure you go up to uh, superiorspidertalk.com or our Facebook page and see all those good pictures. Yeah, we'll include a lot of them down here in the, in the, in the podcast as well. And, you know, another thing that's nice there is you can make friends with a lot of the artists. Uh, we'll include a link here to our good friends Mike and Tim, who Amy and I met last year uh, and and have quickly become very good friends with. So you, n- you never know who you're going to meet at these things. Right. It was crazy. Last year we uh, attended, saw their artwork. Um, they both do kind of very distinct styles, but... Um, we ended up walking away with uh, original art from Mike, and his girlfriend now cuts my hair. So <laughs> the real insider knowledge here, yeah. Uh, so you know, it's it's really cool. We've seen them at several cons actually, um, and I, I think it's it's nice to have friends that you can meet up with, uh, you know, at cons and in real life. And uh, and Tim drew me per my request. <laughs> A very special looter, also known as the Meteor Man, <laughs> who is my favorite bad Spider-Man villain, and uh, and he was very turned on with learning about who the looter was, and and we shared some fun moments with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess the real takeaway here is like encouraging people if you go to cons, go to the artist alleys and really invest yourself in learning about the people there and buying some of their artwork. They're the future artists you know, that are going to make these books that you love look so beautiful or books you've never even heard of that you discovered. Last year, I think I discovered, uh, like, a a book about bed bugs taking over Brooklyn, and it was the greatest read I've ever had, and and I cherish that uh, read. Do I know who it's by today? I don't even know that I know, but I know I supported him, and it was a great read. Um, Kyle, you and I, on the second day at the con, Amy was not able to attend, but we kind of went long box uh, hunting for some uh, some special issues of Spider-Man. Any favorites that we found? Well, I know that you picked up, uh, we believe, the first appearance of another legendary villain, the Hypno-Hustler. Yeah, well, he's he's my favorite. And, uh, and yeah, that's that spectacular Spider-Man issue. I, I got, you got to love the Hypno-Hustler, right? I mean, especially since he made a dramatic reappearance a couple years ago, I think in the issue you reviewed for the site. I know. Next, we need to, we'll, we're going to have to bring back some other villains like Willow the Wisp. Maybe there's room for him. Please, he's a favorite. I mean, who, who could resist his glowing charm? As he phases through matter left and right, how would you ever beat a guy? Those villains, I never know how he's going to beat him because it's like, well, if he can just decide to not exist, why not? 
just not exist all the time. Uh, we also picked up a great one, Adventures in Reading with Spider-Man. That's a, another favorite public service announcement comic of mine. Yeah, yeah. I think it's actually really great. It's something about... Uh, it's a battle against illiteracy. <laughs> and it has a giant book on the cover with uh, what appears to be a triceratops. Who knows? But I can only hope the villain is typeface. Do you know typeface? No. Oh, my goodness. He's the lamest villain ever. He literally is covered in, in letters that are, like, glued onto his face. Um, you'll have to look him up. Typeface, everybody. Is he more Helvetica or Comic Sans? I think it's got to be Comic Sans. <laughs> Let's be real. Or someone that lame, he's got to be using Comic Sans. Sorry for all you people who love Comic Sans out there. I think it's actually really interesting uh, how these issues, wanna, these uh, books want to delve into social issues. Um, they still do it today. Perhaps they try to... Uh, do it a bit more conservatively now, but... Uh. I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I also picked up the, uh, the farewell issue uh, 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 in, in Spectacular Spider-Man for when Peter and Mary Jane were headed off into the sunset during the Clone Saga um, with that really gimmicky cover of the kind of clear, reflective surfaces and Ben Riley looking on like, I'm taking over this book, and uh, we all know what happened there. The Parkers moved to Portland, right? Is that <laughs> yeah, right. There's a story I'd like to read. Um, well, yeah, so, um, you know, one of the big things that we were trying to do here is get a bunch of interviews, which you'll hear one in a moment. You know, do you want to talk about the context uh, for this interview you're about to hear with Stuart and Catherine Eminen? Yeah, this was this was these was these were the first people we went after. This was our number one on the wish list, and they were happy to talk to us uh, multiple times throughout the weekend. Uh, this interview is a, is a little bit shorter than maybe we desired uh, because they were just busy signing the whole time. Fans were coming, and they wanted to talk, and they were so gracious to talk with everyone. So it was almost uh, we were like overstaying our welcome by you know staying too long. I believe. Yeah, and you guys all know how big of a fan of Ultimate Spider-Man I am. I really wanted to talk to him about that. Um, but we were unable to really get into that topic, which is fine. We'll get him again another time. I, I talked about maybe recording something over the phone with him. Uh, as it turns out, they revealed to us that they live deep in the forest, um, and that's not me being goofy. That is true. <laughs> and that if he were to get signal out from his house, it would mean leaning awkwardly up against one wall, maybe with spotty reception. So it looks like either that's the best excuse ever to not do something, um, or, and I believe them that this is true, that they live deep within the forest as elven spirits. Um, it, no, it's a, it's a dedication to their craft. They want to focus all of their energy and time on, on the... No, the, I'm very jealous of them, actually. Okay, it, yeah, sound, it sounds it nice sounds to be amazing. away from uh, 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 social media, but then I would never get to talk to you fine listeners and, and my fine partners here in crime. So, uh, yeah, so I guess, um, is that all we want to say? Just to cue it up for Stuart and Catherine? Tee it up. his amazing friends, Iceman and Firestar.
right, so this is Dan Gavazdan here with Amazing Spider Talk, and I'm joined by a very special guest. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us your history on Spider-Man titles. Gosh. Uh, hi, I'm Stuart Ivanen. Uh, I draw comics for Marvel, and um, I've, well, actually, the very first thing I did for Marvel was uh, a, an illustration of Spider-Man and Black Cat leaping over a roof. It was for their licensing division. It was, like, 1993. And I guess they liked it so much they didn't hire me again until 2000. Uh, before you wrote uh, your first Spider-Man story or even did that drawing, mm -hmm. um, what was your history with the character? Was he like a favorite of yours or...? Yeah, absolutely. As a kid, I, I loved the Spider-Man animated TV show from the 60s. Uh, and that was sort of my sum total uh, experience with the character for years and years. And I... For reasons only a kid would understand, I actually actively avoided reading any comics because I thought they wouldn't be as good as the terrible, terrible animated show. But uh, eventually, I, I, uh, I also read the, uh, the Stanley uh, written uh, newspaper strip, and I really enjoyed that. And, um, and then started reading uh, older stories uh, from Marvel Tales, reprint stories from the 60s and 70s. Um, and that got me hooked, and I, I love Spider-Man ever since then. It's funny you say you watched the cartoon and didn't want to see the comic, because I did the same with trading cards, you know, okay. like this snapshot into the world, and some reason that was going to be better than anything in the comics. Well, also joining us is... Catherine Eamonen. And uh, you both started out working for Marvel on uh, Hellcat. Can you talk about how you guys landed that series? Is that correct? You both worked on Hellcat? Yeah. We did uh, a couple of short or individual stories on, on different properties, Captain America and a, and a thing called Mutant X before that. But Hellcat was, uh, was the uh, lead story in an anthology book called uh, Marvel Comics Presents that they were doing. Yeah, well, Nick Lowe was the editor uh, for the anthology, and he had asked, he knew that Stewart had a huge affection for Patsy Walker and Millie the Model and those characters, and asked Stewart if he wanted to do the anchor for the Marvel Comics Presents with a Hellcat story, and Stewart wanted to draw it, but didn't really have time or, uh, you didn't really want Talent, it. inclination yeah. <laughs> to write. You didn't want to write it. Um, so, uh, Stewart, we had done Captain America 50 and Mutant X, uh, and a, also a Flash story. I'd written a Flash story ages ago. Um, and then our other self-published work. So it's not like I hadn't been working in comics after that point. So he said to Nick, um, well, can, maybe Catherine could write it. Nick's like, your wife. Huh. Um, so there was no obligation on, on their part uh, to say yes or no. So I pitched a series, the, the little mini for Marvel Comics Presents, and they liked it, and it went really, really well, and that turned into an offer to pitch the, um, the mini that I did with David Lefwenty after. So that's how that came about. And you both uh, did work on Avenging Spider-Man number seven, which is the She-Hulk team-up. Uh, that series kind of went through a lot of different changes as it went along. Um, and how did you guys get involved with doing that one issue? And and where did the inspiration for that come? I guess including She-Hulk and, and and all that. Yeah, that was that was Nick Logan was editing. Um, wait, was Avenging. What are we talking about here? The Avenging was with Firestar and. Is that the one? And Iceman. And Iceman. That was and and Spider. Was that amazing? See, you know better than I do. I don't know anything. That was like Amazing X-Men number eight or something. Okay, so Avenging was the one with the cats. Yeah. yeah. That's what we're talking about. Uh, yeah, that was Yeah, but I don't think that was Nick. Was um, it? No, no. Because it but was... I, think, I think the series started out as a Joe Mad vehicle, and uh, 
for reasons I have, I, I can't explain that that fell apart and it turned into this. Uh, uh, it's sort of a macro anthology, a series of of, of one shots or shorter stories. Um, so we got slotted in. And, yeah, I don't uh, know what with She-Hulk. I think you wanted to draw <laughs> She-Hulk. It was. It had to be. Spider-Man. It's always my fault. <laughs> and I asked you who you wanted, and you said She-Hulk because you draw a great She-Hulk. And then the cats came from. I was just doing some some research, and it's sort of you know the green cat, and the, there there was some Egyptian mythology that sort of lined up nicely with her being green. But at the same time, I was just thinking about the 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 broke back shot with the the ass and the tits in the same image, and I was thinking, what could possibly be the circumstances under which this would be a reasonable thing to draw? And the only thing that I could think of is if she had a tail. Right, like the only reason for She-Hulk to be looking at her ass is if there was a tail, and so uh, it kind of all these elements came together in a perfect storm of cats, uh, which was also a love letter to Janine Schaefer, who was uh, an editor at Marvel at the time, who is cat crazy. And the other thing we wanted to do was what comic could we make that would be purpose built for Janine Schaefer's Tumblr? Um, so this is how this comic came about. Yeah, that's how you do it. That's certainly something I would never imagine. That's how the professionals do it. <laughs> well, speaking of, uh, of that, um, what's it like to work as like a, a husband and wife team, I guess like differently than working independently of each other? Uh, mostly the difference is that we're in the same room at the same time. Um, you know, comics people are so spread out all over the world because of the internet and because of courier services and so on. Uh, that it's very rare that you actually get to meet your collaborators um, before you start working. I mean, usually it happens after at a convention like this or, or what have you. Um, but, uh, but you know, Catherine will do her thing mostly in silence and won't come to me for, uh, for any input, um, and that's the way we prefer it. And then, uh, and then the, the story, the plot will go to the editor as per normal, and they'll converse and and uh, and fine tune it, and then when it comes to me, um, mostly I work uh, without input from Catherine. But it's very easy uh, if you have a question about you know intent or or a character moment or whatever, just to call across the room and and uh, and ask the other person. Um, and I think it makes the story. Uh, you know, we we mostly work independently, even when we're working together. Uh, but I think having the opportunity to just, you know, uh, chat about something really quick uh, gives us the chance to, to improve things in a way that we couldn't if there was any kind of physical barrier between us. So, sounds good. We, we talk to a lot of creators that say, like, they never talk to each other. So I yeah. imagine it's really handy. Um, before we let you go, I wanted to ask about the Anansi story and the Spider-Verse thing that you did with David Le- Fuente, also another Ultimate Spider-Man artist. Um, what was it like? I guess was that another Niccolo uh, 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 thing? Okay, great. Can you talk about the genesis of this story? Um, Nick came, uh, wanted me to do uh, one of those, uh, one of this this alternate Spidey, like one of the alternate Spidey stories, and uh, so Spidey UK and a Nancy. And there was a couple of other options. There was like a medieval Spidey. Like I, I love how I say these things, and I'm like baffled by them. And everyone around me is not going, "Yeah, man." Like, okay. <laughs> of course, there's a yeah, medieval Spidey. Yeah, yeah. Like, why didn't you know that? Um, 
So I loved uh, I loved Nancy and and David draws amazing animals like like the little loves little animals and the guy is nuts because you can't you can't say anything to him without within 24 hours your email inbox fills up with like stories and sketches like just this flood the floodgates open with David so I told him what I was thinking about and I then within a day I had screens and screens full of adorable animals um, so it was Spidey UK and Anansi, and he was just coming to recruit him. That was the brief, I think, for most of those stories, just to get him on board for the big war that was that was coming. Um, and we just decided to go to pick sort of a mythological story that Mr. I can't remember, Mr. Massive, Mr. Mr. Big, like the big weird <laughs> monster, is it like it's a traditional name that shows up in some specific uh, traditional stories. Uh, so we just had a good time. But again, you know, it, it was, I know David very well, uh, and we love to work together, and uh, I love to see him draw little animals. So that was, you know, you have to start somewhere, right? So that's where we started. Not more cats? No, no, more <laughs> other little tiny weirdo, and then the, when the tiger, like, football tackles Spidey UK as well. Hey, don't forget to check out these awesome panels beginning now. Boys of God. Spider-Man and his amazing friend. And hopefully we can get them again next year uh, or later this year when the, the second half of this convention occurs. But next we got to talk to Len Wein, who had a three-year run on Amazing Spider-Man. And many people probably know him better from creating Wolverine and, like, the Colossus. I mean, the number of characters he created is endless, and he'll talk about that in, in our brief interview with him. Anything you want to say about this interview with Len? I just think I mean, when you when you hear about all the characters he's created, this guy should be on a, a like a, a royalty, you know, as far as Spider-Man and Marvel. And the fact that he was willing to just talk, we just went up there and talked to him again. Just showed how kind these creators were, and the atmosphere of this convention. And you know, you, we could talk for hours with this guy if uh, if Len was willing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we kind of caught him at the tail end of, of the show, and you know, you're kind of exhausted by then. And but it also speaks to kind of the, the different attitude towards writing comics. You know, from back in like the '70s, you know, it was not expected that comics would really go anywhere. They were, you know, novelty kind of. You bought them off the spinner rack for fifty cents, maybe, and uh, and you'd throw them away and you were done. They're printed on newsprint, so like. Len has a very, like, uh, um, I think, I want to say detached, but it's a very casual relationship with his creations, um, although them still being deeply personal, and, and, and he'll express his kind of fanboyism as well. So I really hope you enjoy this interview with Len Wein. his amazing friends, Iceman and Firestar. Hi everybody, this is Dan Gavazdan here with Amazing Spider Talk, and I'm joined by Len Wein. 
creator of Swamp Thing, the new X-Men, Wolverine, Nightcrawler, Storm, Colossus, the Human Target, Star Labs, Lucius Fox, and God knows so many other characters. <laughs> and you had a run on Amazing Spider-Man. I did. I ran for about three years on Amazing and about two years uh, Marvel team-up before that. Yeah, well, so when you initially came on Amazing Spider-Man, uh, it was at a point of really great transition for the character. It was like after Gwen's death and the original Clone Saga. Uh, what was it like for you coming on the book at a time like that? Well, you have to clean house. For, I mean, the very first thing I did was I thought, get rid of the clone, you know, dispose of his body. And that didn't work out real well at all, did it? <laughs> but if you start over, you sort of go, okay, we've now got to tell new stories. We've told the last batch. Um, when you when you came on to the character, did you have any goals for what you wanted to accomplish with uh, writing Spider-Man? Yeah, not look like an idiot. <laughs> I was at that point in time the third regular writer on the book after 150 issues. And it was important to me to not look like an idiot and do as good a job as I could. Um, so there seemed to be like an emphasis when you came on with creating new villains. You created something like you know Mirage, Stegron, Will of the Wisp, uh, and the same was true during Jerry Conway's run. Was there a general aversion to using classic rogues at that point in time? No, there was a sense of if you don't occasionally add new characters, well, why are you doing your job? All you're doing is rehashing other people's stories. So your part of the parcel is coming up with your own characters as well. Um, was there any disappointment when any of these like new villains failed to stick with later writers for you, or you just enjoyed having them be your own thing? Yeah, I never worry about what other writers do with my characters after I'm done. Uh, I, I'm sure it's the same way that Bob Kane and Siegel and Schuster felt about all the people who followed them on their characters. So I had a good time with them when I did them, and if anybody used them again, yay, and if they didn't, so that's life. One of uh, the become a fan favorite over the years is the Spider-Mobile. Can you tell us the story behind why you included the Spider-Mobile in the book? Well, Jerry was forced to introduce it. Stan saw some potential marketing deal with a company that would create the Spider-Mobile. And we all argued with Stan, this is a guy who gets across town faster by swinging on webs. The Spider-Mobile was a stupid idea. He said, I don't care, I want the Spider-Mobile in there. And we said, fine. So we wrote it like it was a stupid idea. <laughs> um, who came up with the title, My Killer the Car, which might be the greatest name for an issue of all time? It was me. <laughs> I titled all my own stories. <laughs> um, during my, my favorite, actually, was the team up with Dr. Octopus, which was called Arm and 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 Arm with Dr. Octopus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a great one. Um, during your run on Amazing Spider-Man, you introduced a third Green Goblin, the psychiatrist of Harry right. Osborn. Yeah, what was the like? What was the story behind this inclusion? Did you want to move the Goblin legacy beyond the Osborn family? I just wanted to bring back the Goblin. I felt using poor Harry again was kind of going over ground that had been covered. So I thought, well, let's just make everybody assume it's Harry and turn it to be somebody else. One of my uh, favorite, uh, and I, cons I consider maybe an underrated gem of yours, is The Longest Hundred Yards. That's one of my all-time favorite stories of any book I ever worked on. It's so wonderful. Um, but it feels like it has its origin somewhere beyond comics, like a book or something. Um, 
Did you originally develop the story as something else, or was it always intended as a Spider-Man story? Always intended as a Spider-Man story. Can, can you speak about the genesis of the story? No, not after 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what was it like working with uh, Ross Andrew? Uh, he, has such, he has such a knack for capturing all these New York locations. Did you write that into your script, or was that all him? Oh, no, I'm, I made sure that New York was a character in the book because Ross was so meticulous <laughs> about drawing all these real buildings. And he put a lot of effort into research. In the very first two-parter I did with the Shocker, there's a whole sequence that takes place on the, I forget what island it's called, power plant. And Ross had his wife drop him off on the 59th Street Bridge and just keep driving around while he took photos and sketches until he had it down right. Yeah, it's really great. Um, so uh, additionally, you also enjoyed a lengthy run scripting on Marvel Team-Up. Uh, yes. in the early 70s. Uh, was your approach to these stories any different than when you wrote Amazing Spider-Man? Like, how did you determine who be teaming up with Spider-Man? Whoever I felt like that month. This is not a complicated process. Yeah. We were making this up as we went along. <laughs> okay. Um, as someone who's known for great monster comics like Swamp Thing, uh, did you use your uh, stint on Marvel team-ups to scratch that itch by working in supernatural characters like Brother Voodoo and Werewolf and Ghost Rider? Uh, no, they just seem to be next in line. Okay. Uh, and as the father of Wolverine and a longtime spider writer, did you think you'd ever see the day when both characters would be on the Avengers? Hell no. <laughs> but but I'm, I, I'm still not sure Spidey belongs on the Avengers because I never thought of him as a team player. Spider-Man was a loner. Wolverine has now become a member of so many teams. I think he's probably an assistant at the Red Cross. I mean, everywhere. <laughs> so uh, that doesn't bother you as much. So Spidey, I always felt, worked better when he worked alone. Um, and, uh, you know, Spider-Man and Wolverine have cultivated a very special relationship over the years. What are your thoughts about uh, how the two characters work together? It depends on who's writing it. It really does. Every story depends on the creators. Some people have done wonderfully, some people have done not so wonderfully. But uh, it's an evolutionary process. You work as you, you learn as you go. And what does it mean to you as a creator that you were able to uh, write stories for a character like Spider-Man or even you know, all the wonderful characters you've worked on over the years? As a creator, it means absolutely nothing to me. As a fanboy geek, it means everything to me. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview with us. You're welcome. Thanks. Spider-Man and his amazing friends. It was really great to talk to Len. Uh, keep, keep your eye out for more interviews from Long Beach Comic Con. They're coming. They're coming. Yeah, well, you know, you can, you can do that by uh, going and uh, subscribing to us on iTunes under the name Amazing Spider Talk. And you can check all of our old interviews on our site where we've also got our Superior Spider Talk podcast. That's superiorspidertalk.com. And find us again on iTunes and Stitcher by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. Also, be sure to check out both our Facebook pages at facebook.com slash superiorspidertalk and facebook.com slash chasingamazing because there are actually great places to keep up with everyone between shows. We're putting up articles that we've written, other breaking news about the Spider-Man universe, and how to get in touch with us. Yeah, you've, uh, you've written some of those articles, Kyle. Some of the lesser-read articles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you'd be shocked. You'd be shocked. 
As always, if you want to follow the adventures of Spider-Gwen and Miles Morales, please be sure to subscribe to our sister podcast, The Ultimate Spin, hosted by Brian, Kyle, and Noor. Um, I will say about Ultimate Spin, uh, on the flip side of, of our postcards... People were stoked to see that there was a podcast about Miles Morales and Gwen. They, so. re- they really were. You know, they're like, oh, whatever, a Spider-Man podcast, that's old hat. <laughs> but a Gwen and Miles podcast, yeah. Okay, I- I'm not short-selling you, honey, I promise. No, you're, no I'm, I'm being honest. They're not really as excited about the existence of our show <laughs> as they are about that show. Well, I am, and I love you. Okay, I love you too. But as always, our theme song is courtesy of Rylan Bojack, and our outro song, the lovely outro song you're about to hear, comes from Magic. And also, I would be remiss if I didn't thank Nick Cagnetti, Ray Sumzer, Ron Friends, and Sal Buscema for all of our show's awesome artwork. So, um, Kyle, where can we find you on the internet uh, this week? Well, there's a great review uh, about Secret Wars 2099, number five, that's been up for, a, you know, over a week now. If you haven't read that on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com, check that out. Or just find me at KyleKreis.com. You don't have, like, a Twitter or anything? Yeah, it's at Kyle Christ. Everything is Kyle Christ. Uh, it's like Jesus without the T, but with an E. That's how you spell it. I'll always remember that. (laughs) All right, Amy, what about you? Well, Dan, you can find me on Instagram. Well, it's actually not me. Uh, It's it's an Instagram account devoted to our cats, Archie and Owen. Uh, The name is Archie P. Cat. Uh, You can also find me just on Instagram at Amy Sandifer. You don't have to tell me that. I live with you. (laughs) Um. Yeah, that's about it. And, uh, of course, you can find me on Twitter at, at Dan Gavazdan or my Spider-Man account at Sup Spider Talk, which I've constantly been teasing as my main account. And let's be real, it's kind of becoming my life. Um, and uh, you can read all the Spider-Man stuff that I do on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com and all of my movie writing at GrindMyReels.com. And as the now-deceased Uncle Ben always said... With, With great, great podcasts, podcasts must, must also come, come amazing spider talk. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> this is, I needed a redo. This is some, some incredible copy. You can do another one later if you need me to. This is why I should be a copy editor. <laughs>